Hello, I am Lieutenant Colonel Sam Padman from the Centre of Australian Army Leadership. Uh, welcome back for another episode of the Australian Army Leadership Program podcast, the official podcast of the COW. In today's episode, we're speaking with uh, Brigadier Rupert Hoskin uh, about our focal area of critical thinking and contributory dissent within the Australian Army. Brigadier Hoskin is currently a seconded to the Business Council of Australia, and I believe he's just finished up their posting there. Uh, but as a long-term friend of the program, he was the inaugural Director of General Army Leadership, uh, as well as Commandant of the Royal Military College of Australia uh, back in 2019, uh, when the Centre for Australian Army Leadership was formed uh, by the Chief of Army. He has had a, a wide and diverse career with a lot of experience. It incorporates a regimental and operational military services with commands at multiple levels. He's also worked within engineering, project management, representational and diplomatic roles, as well as working in a private industry. Uh, welcome to the podcast, sir, and thank you for your time today. Thanks, Sam, for that great introduction. Uh, lovely to see you again and to see your fantastic work with the Centre for Australian Army Leadership continuing from strength to strength. Uh, it's also wonderful to be back here at Duntroon, in particular yeah. in this office, under the watchful eye of uh, many former commandants, <laughs> including Brigadier Rod Curtis, who was the commandant when I did this. Um, so Fantastic. great to be here. And, and of all of the focal areas, mm -hmm. uh, as you know, I think very well, this is the one I felt most passionate about and the one that we could most usefully work on. So great to be here and have this conversation. Excellent. No, fantastic. And appreciate your time. I'm really looking forward to garnering your thoughts on it and views on how we apply it in the Army. Uh, so to our listeners, uh, turning now to the topic at hand, I'd like to set the scene for our discussion today. Uh, sir, as you know, soon after the Centre for Australian Army Leadership was formed, we undertook a large amount of working groups. We got out to Army, uh, we asked them, hey, what's good with Army Leadership? What's bad? Where should we look to improve? You know, and, and really garnered thousands of responses from across Army, from uh, every brigade, headquarters, training centres, special forces, and that built in our focal areas. You know, that gave us a set of focal areas to work on as part of the leadership program. Uh, we also benchmarked our leadership program against our um, partnered and regional military forces. And one of the key topics that our army people told us we should focus on on the leadership program is critical thinking and contributory dissent. Uh, they believe that these were uh, both poorly understood and poorly practised. Hence why we've got a great opportunity to come together today to, to talk about this. So as way of a further introduction into the topic itself, for critical thinking and contributory dissent to work, we believe that both leaders and followers must be prepared to actively analyse situations and ideas and must be committed to the value of alternate views. It is situationally dependent, but it must always enhance the chain of command without undermining it. From leaders, it requires you to set the conditions and establish the right organisational culture. From the followers, it requires good communication skills, loyalty and, importantly, emotional intelligence. Sir, it'd be great to uh, get your interpretation of critical thinking and contributory dissent, uh, your views on the importance of it in the Australian Army and how we might go about applying it. Thanks, Sam. So the first thing is uh, the title of uh, this is quite a mouthful, <laughs> uh, and in particular the aspect contributory dissent. Yes. Uh, and we early uh, in the process identified some people who preferred a simpler title, and we decided to run with it because 
it makes people scratch their heads and wonder, mm. what is contributory dissent? That sounds like a mouthful. It sounds a little bit like disobedience, don't like it, and people lean in yep. and join the discussion. And that was exactly what we sought to achieve. I've since uh, come across this in other domains as I've now moved beyond the military environment. Okay. And it's been uh, the same concept described as obligation to dissent in, in a very strongly held value uh, in, in a particular company that does a lot of this kind of work. Uh, similarly, elsewhere I've come across the concept of constructive confrontation. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, similar terminology, you know, yeah. same concept. <clears throat> and in, in a beautiful, uh, simple way, disagreeing without being disagreeable. Right. So all, all in the same domain and certainly not something just the army needs to get better at. So why is it important? Yeah. I'm just going to explain a couple of things that I think contributory dissent and critical thinking are about. Fantastic. And then a couple of things that it's not about. So what is it about? It's about the fact that nobody has all of the answers. As people mature and develop as leaders, if anything, they embrace this more strongly and understand that they couldn't possibly have all the answers and they need people to help them get it right. It's therefore also about the contest of ideas, the goodness, in fact, of the whole Western civilization and our, and our democratic model is that in our own messy complicated way we come to the right answers through the contest of ideas. Thirdly, uh, I think we've all identified the need to embrace diversity of views and, and different people contributing to whatever endeavour we're engaged in. Well, it's great to embrace diversity, but you've then got to have the conditions for that diversity to actually be brought to bear. Correct. Um, so that's a significant part of this. It's also about engagement and empowerment. If people at all levels are able to certainly feel and genuinely be engaged by the decision makers, uh, they will be giving their very best, they will feel empowered, they'll be motivated and they'll be behind whatever the ultimate solution turns out to be, even if it's not the thing that they embrace personally. This is about humble and authentic leadership. It is a way for people to see that nobody's got all the answers and a leader who in fact embraces the fact that they don't have all the answers and who seeks others' point of view is in fact a more inspiring leader because they are a genuine uh, human being. And then finally, I think the Army is exquisitely crafted as a self-correcting organisation. We have people and structures that apart from just working as a way to sort of delegate authority and get things done, on the human side of that, there are people at every level who help each other get things right. So even though we might at face value appear to be a command and control organisation, in fact we're an organisation uh, that constantly works to give people that little bit of help if they're not having a good day, making a bad decision, uh, not, not consulting widely enough, letting vanity take over or any of those mm -hmm. things. And I think the right sort of contributory dissent environment allows that to happen. So what is contributory dissent not about? <laughs> and as we travelled the country uh, and overseas in the last couple of years uh, looking at this, we often found we needed to reassure people, perhaps some people who are more traditionally minded, uh, who, who had instant antibodies to the concept of dissent as being yeah. somehow unmilitary. So let's reassure people what it's not about. It's not about disobedience. It's not about weak or indecisive leadership. And we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but ultimately the leader is still in charge and yep. still needs to make the decisions. And it's not about time wasting. Mm -hmm. There's a time for contributory dissent and discussion <laughs> and there's a time for here's what we're doing, everybody, get on board, Correct. let's move out. Yep. 
So I'd like to end by just reassuring people that this is not some change to what fundamentally makes the military a wonderful, effective warfighting outfit. Um, Sir, some fantastic uh, opening comments there from yourself, especially laying out what it is and what it isn't. Um, If I can now, I'm going to take some time drawing on some of the pertinent points you've just raised there. Um, You mentioned um, it's all about, well, correction, part of it's about the leader. So then as leaders, how do we develop these qualities within our team? What are the key requirements for these behaviours to be fostered in that team? Yes, Sam. So you've called out one end of the process. Part of the process is what individuals should do and part of it is what leaders should do to set the conditions. Yeah. So on the latter, without ever losing sight of the fact that at the end of the day the leader is the leader and the decider, he's, he or she is accountable and responsible, the first thing the leader should do is establish a broad cultural organisational climate that allows people to contribute their very best. So what that means is over a longer term, creating the precedents, their own personal behaviours that allow people, and and some people call this psychological safety, allow people the uh, confidence to bring forward whatever they think is is right uh, and put it on the table knowing that they won't be criticised or in some way seen as disloyal for doing so. And there's many things that a leader can do that. When it comes to uh, a particular, let's say, decision process or planning activity, it's still important for the leader to provide leadership. It's not a free-form brainstorming thing. You'll never get anywhere useful with that. Of course. And there's plenty of really good studies that show that for people to be their most creative, uh, their most effective at strategically planning there still needs to be a a leader facilitating the process and setting the direction. Yeah, certainly. So that they need to then provide uh, their advice to the team on what's the ultimate vision, what what are the uh, parameters within which they're working uh, and what they need to achieve. The leader would also need to set the conditions. Uh, For example, the leader might decide Today we've got some time. Today we need to really kick this thing around. Yep. We've yep. got the opportunity. Let's let's really tease it out. There's no imperative here to, to get it done, done quickly and let's really think widely. Or the leader might decide, uh, no, the enemy's on the other side of the hill. <laughs> um, I think we might just roll with my plan for the moment yes. and uh, let's get moving. Um, and, and just set that tone and people will, will respect and appreciate that, I'm quite sure. And then finally, it's very valuable for the leader to set those conditions and then maybe just hold back from expressing their personal view at the time on what the solution or the plan might be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Put a bit of pressure on people to put their particular cards on the table. Mm. Uh, Don't uh, let people try and second-guess what the good answer might be from the boss's perspective and force them to, to lay their cards on the table. Firstly, that helps get the most creative ideas out there Secondly, what you were privately thinking as the leader might turn out to be wrong (laughs) and you may be better off just holding off till the last minute and then swooping in with your solution at the end. But what you're doing there is harnessing all of your subject matter expertise within the team itself. Um, As a leader, you're attuned to the situation that you're facing, uh, what time do you have, what time don't you have, you know, and the best solution there. So while setting that um, culture and environment, 
Um, it's not just a set and forget. You know, I think if I can take as a key point from what you said there, sir, was you need to apply it to the right context and the right situation still, which takes a fair exactly level of right. intelligence. Yeah, it's a form of leadership in itself. Yeah. Yep. So then are there any risks associated with critical thinking and contributory dissent or the behaviours that, that may come with that? So um, let's say, for example, uh, some of our followers might say, right, the boss has given us free play now to um, pull apart everything he or she says uh, and then always put our views in there. Uh, is there a risk with that? And if so, how won't we manage that, put some controls around it? Yeah, so – and I've – Briefly alluded to a couple yeah. of these on the way through, but this is great to focus in on on, on the risks. No, nothing good comes without risks and things needing mitigating. So, so one is quite a lot of people do quite like to be directed. Yeah, they're comfortable. You know, many people would choose to join the military because they feel that gives them structure mm. and a sense of direction. Um, and so you might run the risk of creating a little bit of discomfort for people who are quite happy in their own uh, world to just do what's required of them. Yeah. Of course, probably a good thing to pull them a little bit further out of their skin and just to reach a little bit further back into the cupboard for what they've got to offer, yeah. thinking and doing-wise. Um, but, yes, you do have to address that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and I know myself, sometimes if you do encourage that more uh, sort of discussive kind of approach to getting to the right answers... Yeah. You do need to manage the perception that you're not necessarily providing the strength of leadership that some people expect. Right. It's yeah. a nuanced point, but it's important. Okay. Uh, the next thing is, of course, uh, sometimes there isn't time yeah. for this kind yeah. of thing. Um, and uh, you never need to lose the ability just to move out on radio orders, uh, adjust off the line of march and get things going. Yeah. And that can happen perfectly well. And the other one that I find often quietly a little bit amusing is that there's a stereotype that sometimes we ascribe to in the Australian Army, I think, that everybody loves Australians in this sort of international, multinational context because we just tell it the way it is and just <laughs> wade right in there and, and we'll tell the boss what's wrong. And there's lots of people who tell you stories about they've worked with Americans and they all loved us because everyone else was afraid to say and we waded in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually don't agree with that. Okay. I think that there is... Uh, Enough truth in that for it to be uh, a virtuous point. Mm. But actually, if anything, in my various times overseas in a sort of coalition environment, I've probably spent a bit of time just coaching some of our own people to maybe find a way to introduce that perspective of a different way of doing things. Yeah. But just be a little bit attuned to how they do it. Yeah. And actually waiting in there probably doesn't meet the disagreeing without being disagreeable approach. <laughs> yes. And, uh, for example, our major partners, the Americans, will always be polite, mm. um, but sometimes maybe finding a way to offer an alternative point of view, yeah. it will be very welcome if it's done at the right time in the right way. Yeah, and that's um, strategising your, your alternate point of view there yeah. and then considering, as you said, the right time and place then to put it forward. So Indeed. drawing on that point then, um, and you've, you've held commands at many levels um, and we all work to someone higher than us, be it you know, here in Australia or overseas in a multinational environment there, what advice then do you have for uh, followers? We'll focus on the followers now for a little bit. You know, so let's look at our junior NCOs um, on the battlefield or our junior officers, for example. Um at times they may hold back out of the fear that they will be deemed insubordinate or seen as undermining the team. 
Um, this may um, turn out to or replicate as some negative comments in their annual reports. Um, they may have a fear that it could damage their careers moving forward, always being seen as the follower who disagrees all the time. Uh, you spoke a lot about the leader setting the conditions. You know, and Now, if we can switch the target to the followers, how do we bridge that? You know, how, do, how do we really encourage our junior leaders out there to be part of this? Uh, is it moral courage on their part or is there a balance between the two? Yeah, thanks, Sam. And, and again, a, a wonderful line of questioning. There are several things, and you used the word strategizing before. Mm. There is uh, a need to pause and think a bit about how to do this. Uh, thing one, it's right. You, you mentioned you know, moral courage, for example. It's yeah. right if you have a, a point of view to offer that you think can improve uh, the way things are headed. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely right to do it. Secondly, it's absolutely wanted that you should do that. Um, yeah. You know, as you know very well, all of this work on leadership comes from the Chief of Army himself um, and we want to be the sort of organisation where people will gird their loins, show yes. that moral courage and contribute. So then we come to the how do you do it? Yeah, and, yeah exactly. Uh, in, and in our you know, work here, the slide that we, we use to, to summarise the concept, yeah. we talk about a couple of particular things. Mm-hmm. This is where people actually think hard about how to... Uh, influence events yeah usually upwards and and bearing in mind this isn't just about managing upwards this is also with peers and you know allies and in, in other environments of course so for example take the time to understand the context for what's required you may have an alternative view but you may actually need to just lean a little bit harder into the into the situation just to make sure that you're not uh, oversimplifying things for example yeah uh, the next thing is identify if it's one of those the enemy's on the other side of the hill moments <laughs> and, and decide whether it is the right time and place to offer an alternative view. Often it will be, but, you know, sometimes it won't. Uh, you may wish to start by grounding your introduction of an alternative view yeah. in agreement. Okay. So uh, it's very powerful to express an overall view that absolutely reinforces not only your loyalty and uh, happiness at being part of the team, yeah, but yeah. also your agreement with the overall direction that's being taken. That's yeah. a wonderful start point to then suggest a, a slight deviation of, of the azimuth yeah. um, and investing a little bit of time. You know, For example, just saying, hey, hey boss, uh, love the vision here and yet we absolutely do need to get to that point um, and I'm really pleased to be part of this. Uh, I just wonder whether we could, and then launch in a different direction. You will reassure, you know, a normal human being um, yeah. that uh, perhaps you are supportive rather than, and hence the word contributory in the title. Mm. And you can extend off that point and then move into another area. Another very powerful, you know, technique, if you like, is to seek permission. Okay. Rather than just launching hey, I think we should do this rather than that. I've got a better idea, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, maybe just pause and say, hey, uh, boss, I wonder if we've got time and the ability just to explore some alternatives. You then smooth the path towards a discussion and it's very hard for that boss to say no to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the first place, and then having said yes, it's very hard for them to then shut you down. <laughs> of course. Um, so 
So as a little sort of, uh, it, it's not a trick. These things, these are very sincere, genuine ways of doing things. Yeah. Um, but I think that pause to ask and create a welcome uh, and do it from a, a position of humility mm. um, actually is a wonderful way to then allow you to stroll in, you know, with 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 respect and uh, a, a sort of dignified, compelling approach to, yes. to then take things down a different path. Yeah. And then finally, making uh, a cogent argument, having taken the trouble to go from I don't like where we're going to and this is my vision for how we could go and do it differently and have a sort of compelling logical argument, um, this is a good thing. Yeah. So then where does that take you? It takes you to one of two things. One is you've injected an idea, you don't need it to work straight away. Sometimes just in feeding something in and not being wedded to absolutely getting the outcome you want um, can be good. Sometimes it'll come back a little bit later. It might even come back disguised as someone else's idea. doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> you've, you've got what you wanted. Correct. And then finally, as a follower, you, we are a military after all, and at the end of the day, you've done your best. Uh, if you uh, respect then the leader's decision and you get behind whatever is being done, yeah. then we are in good shape. Fantastic, and you you ended on a very salient point there, sir, with that one. Um, If I can then take this into our our next question, Um, we've focused on the conditions and you've very well articulated those for us and really given our listeners a lot of food for thought about how they might take this forward in both their own leadership strategy and then as followers how they might enable the team. Uh, We spoke about the leader and the follower as individuals and what sort of um, behaviours they should show and aspects they should do. Uh, And then you started talking uh, a few things there. You touched on trust, you touched on humility. So we're now leaning towards the human touch, human aspect of of leadership here. Um, You know, can I garner your thoughts on the importance of trust and rapport and really that human aspect of leadership when it now comes to critical thinking and contributory dissent. So it's not so much a transaction, it's more of a, a human endeavour. Thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks, Sam. So that actually touches a little bit on one of our other focal areas, which is uh, mission command. Um, and, and without moving into that separate topic, what you've underlined is the fact that our wonderful model of mission command cannot possibly work without the conditions being set of trust. Yeah. Uh, that's trust between subordinates and commanders and, in, and the same in both directions. Um, it's also an aspect of confidence because uh, for mission command to work, sometimes the right thing to do is not strictly what was in the original orders in the first place. Yeah. So it's very much a similar mindset of thinking critically, forming a well-considered uh, view, and having the confidence to then take that view forward. So these are all similar angles um, on uh, the same approach to leadership that characterises the Australian Army. So, yeah, I mentioned before the concept of psychological safety, that the leader has to set the conditions so that people feel able uh, to bring their views forward and that they'll be respected. If I can tell a little story here, every yeah, every do. year before every every six months before graduation at Duntroon, I would give a talk to the graduates. I always felt that it was one of the most important things I did in my role as commandant. Yeah. So when you and I and others went around the army, I'd always ask groups of young soldiers, "Hey guys, in a few weeks, I'm going to be giving a talk to your future boss, lieutenants. 
Yes. Yep. What shall I tell them? What do you want ringing in their ears <laughs> from the commandant? Um, and they all universally, every man, every woman said the same thing. It was hilarious. They said, tell them it's okay to ask for advice. They yes. do not need to turn up and uh, just boss us all around. Actually, we know a lot of stuff and uh, we would be really grateful if we had leaders that will always do what they're told, what yeah. we're told, um, but we'd like them to understand that there's a lot of help available for them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, excellent. And I think that's the trust. Yeah. No, great. Thanks. Thanks. So that's, um, again, some very salient points there for our listeners to, to think about there um, moving forward and, and as they – uh, digest this topic of critical thinking and contributory dissent themselves um, as both a leader and a follower. So then um, you've recently finished up some time with the uh, Business Council of Australia, doing some great work um, out there after the bushfire uh, season, the terrible one that Australia uh, had early this year, and not that this year hasn't stopped giving, but it was a, a, cr- a critical part that we all went through as a nation. Um were there any similarities that you saw in the civilian sector? You know, that might have parallels with what we do here in the military and, and what did you learn from that? Yeah, so firstly, thank you for evoking that. It was a, it was a wonderful role at very short notice mm. to have found myself doing. Uh, and as a quick aside and observation, we hold dear in the Army and the Australian Defence Force to our ANZAC values. What I experienced over eight months around some very hard-hit small communities throughout the sort of southeast of Australia is the values that we really seek to adhere to and exemplify of, you know, courage, support for others, uh, selflessness, sacrifice, um, community-minded. They, they exist across Australia and uh, it was wonderful to see the way other people freeform, if you like, without the kind of structure of being brought into the military culture. Uh, we have a wonderful country and we have a wonderful uh, system of... Uh, communities and and local governments and all the others that self-organise to deal with adversity and it was a privilege to be a part of it, especially after spending so much time in other people's countries (laughs) doing similar things. Um, So back to your question uh, about uh, things that I saw. I'll give you an example. Uh, We created an organisation from scratch and one of the things that will unify an organisation and allow it to operate in that sort of loose, tight, mission command environment, you know, get out there, make things happen, uh, we don't really know what's required, but go and do good things, mm. is to set a vision and to create the right kind of organisational culture and values from the outset. And unifying around those relatively simple things, good, dynamic, active people will go and get great things done yeah. and they'll feel empowered to do so. And I recall very early in my time with the Business Council of Australia, I asked the Chief Executive of the BCA, Jennifer Westercott, if she would come and join an induction session I was running for a gang of new people starting on the team. And uh, she didn't have much time, but I just said to her, would you mind just coming and expressing your vision for how we'll operate and what we'll do? Yeah. Uh, and that would be lovely. And, of course, I, I know you'll enjoy meeting the team. And without any time for preparation or any notes or anything like that, Jennifer came and gave us a wonderful description of her vision, and it was in particular based around the concept of a bias for action. Okay. Um, the willingness to take risks, the, the willingness to try things, mm-hmm. um, and she expressed in a really powerful way uh, that she was there to back us um, and that she expected us to err on the side of getting things done to help needy Australians yep. um, and that she expected that things wouldn't be perfect and that she might from time to time need to step in and help us sort of overcome 
uh, problems that arise from just being that that biased on action. And it was a wonderful piece of leadership and it, it tr- truly affected all of us. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Brady Hoskins, uh, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, coming here um, back to the Royal Military College of Australia and the Commandant's Office here at the Duntroon uh, Officers' Mess um, and for speaking with us on the topic of critical thinking and contributory dissent. Uh, I really appreciate getting to take your, your views and observations on this topic from a, um, a very vast um, military experience in multiple um, positions, both in command, both in staff roles, both in Australia and overseas, and also diplomatic roles. Uh, but also the, the views you brought from your recent experience with the uh, Business Council of Australia there have been excellent. I uh, also liked uh, the points you raised there that Leaders can't possibly have all of the answers. They need to rely on their team, rely on the experts within the team to um, inform their decision-making, but do it the right way. And that requires conditions being set by the leader and the follower themselves. Um, And then having the bravery to to stand up and have your say when the time's right and you've strategised it. Also, your points on psychological safety goes back to setting those conditions and importantly, the vision for the organisation and the culture of the organisation which will then empower people to, to critically think about what's being put forward uh, and then provide that contributory dissent uh, when they strategize the right time to do so. And again, what really resonated for myself, and I'm sure it will with our listeners, um, is what it's not about. You know, It's not about being insubordinate. Uh, it's not about time wasting. It's not about continually jumping in there and just having your say. Um, and we need to understand that we are good as a military with what we do. And then once the leaders made the decision, then we put our heels together and we move forward from there. So, th- sir, thank you once again for your time. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks, Sam. Uh, very much my pleasure. Always wonderful to be back at Duntroon on a beautiful spring day. Real pleasure. Uh, this is a great topic and this is a great body of work that you and the team are embarked upon. I wish you personally all the very best for your future uh, wonderful leadership opportunity and command opportunity that's coming up. And uh, I wish all the very best to those leaders out there listening to this podcast. Uh, I have nothing but the most wonderful memories of my career as a leader in the Australian Army. And no matter who you are, what you do, what level you're at, uh, you are embarked on a fantastic endeavour. You're doing wonderful things for your country and you're doing wonderful things for the people that you lead and for the people that you serve. So good on you and all the very best. Great. Thank you, sir. Uh, To our listeners out there, that's all we have time for today and we look forward to having you joining us for our next episode of the Australian Army Leadership Program podcast series.